Vision is a great blessing. Without it, we stumble. However, the greatest vision of all is spiritual vision. This message is the second in the series, Vision 2020. The message is entitled, See God. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, if you will, your teaching sheets, as we turn our attention to this new series of messages we started last weekend entitled Vision 2020. And I want to talk to us this weekend about, about seeing God, seeing God. Vision is one of the greatest blessings that we have in life, the capacity, the ability to see. And if we don't see well, we stumble. If we don't see well, we don't have a, a productive, effective life. Your vision is valuable. Not just your eyesight, but your insight, your capacity to have spiritual vision. And while your natural eyesight may fail, you and I in our journey with Jesus need to be increasingly developing our spiritual eyesight, our spiritual vision, so that we're moving from spiritual blindness to 2020 spiritual vision. As I said last weekend, most likely none of us will ever receive that in this life. We'll probably never be to the place that we see uh, perfectly in our relationship with God. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 that we all see through a glass darkly. And so, but we're always on a journey to increase our capacity to see what God is up to in our lives. I want better spiritual vision. How about you? I want to see more clearly. I want to move toward 2020 spiritual vision. In the book of Isaiah, we have a story of Isaiah's encounter with God that led him to have his eyes opened in a very significant way and actually resulted in Isaiah receiving a call from God into prophetic ministry. I want to read for you again Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Uh, these verses will, will establish much of the foundation for this entire series together. So listen as I read from the New International Version. In the year that King Uzziah died, I talked about that last weekend. It's a very significant time in Israel's history. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. Interesting creatures, obviously uh, angelic beings. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory." At the, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke, speaking of the glory of God. Here's Isaiah's response, woe to me, or woe is me, is another translation of that. I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes, my eyes, my vision now has seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, with it, which, he had taken, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. We come to the climax of this verse, verse number eight, where Isaiah is called into prophetic ministry when God says, who will I send, who will go? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. But to understand his response to God's call, you have to backtrack up to the, the, the other seven verses. Because it started with Isaiah having a vision of God. The very first statement in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And then it proceeds to describe this encounter that Isaiah has with God and the encounter that God has with him related to things in Isaiah's life that needed to be cleaned up for Isaiah to serve him effectively. But ultimately, he goes out as a prophet of the Lord. Great application for us. To have 2020 spiritual vision, where do we start? 
If we're going to move forward in our relationship with God and our spiritual capacity to see him and see his work in our life, what's the starting point? Where do we begin in this journey together, this new year and in this new decade? How are we to grow our spiritual vision and prove it? The best place to start and the right place to start is in our vision of God. Because that's exactly where Isaiah started. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw not first himself, he later sees himself, but he first sees the Lord. He has this encounter with God. I'm going to share with you tonight four things that are very important for you and I to see about God. If we don't see these four things about God, then we will not have the capacity to trust him, to grow in him, to develop in the way that you and I need to develop. So four avenues. What does it mean to see God? Let me share with you four things that you need to see if you're going to see God. Number one, you need to see God's glory. You know, certain people in society today become, and it has been the case for all societies throughout history, they, they become the object of attention because of their achievements or because of their, their talents, their capabilities, their, 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 their intellect, whatever their skill might be. When I mention the name Michael Jordan, what do you think? Basketball, right? We could go through a variety of names that we identify a name with a sport, a name with an accomplishment, a name with something that has, someone has done very significant as we view it from a human perspective. And weight is given to these people because of their accomplishments. Weight is given to them because of their talents. We call them celebrities. They are, cele they are celebrated because of what they do, what they accomplish. And people begin to follow after them. They dress like them. They buy what they buy. They talk like they talk. And they, they glorify these personalities. That's how our world works. And so what occurs over time is that we'll have a period of time where someone will be really in the limelight, as I talked about Michael Jordan, but that name now is, is not as strong as some other names like Steph Curry. He's a little more co contemporary, right? So they change from time to time. So even if you have the glory in a moment, it's not going to stay with you forever because somebody is going to come along a little later and they're going to be as good or better than you are and they're going to steal the limelight. And so it changes over time and it changes over history. And so no one experiences glory over a period of time in humanity. And it's very easy if we're not careful to glorify people. But we need to understand this. According to scripture, God is the only one who is truly worthy of glory. He's I'm going to define that for you in a moment. He's the only one we might appreciate other people and value their contribution or celebrate something about them, but they're never to receive glory. God alone is worthy of glory and honor and praise. And as we start this new year together, I want to draw all of our attention back to bringing glory to God. How can we see the glory of God? What does this mean? See, everything changed for Isaiah the prophet when his vision shifted from King Uzziah to the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. When I got my eyes off of King Uzziah and saw God, everything in my life changed. Listen to it one more time. The first four verses. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted. Everyone say high and exalted. I'll come back to that in a moment. High and exalted. Seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, with two wings that covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Notice that word. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. smoke. In one spectacular, extraordinary moment, 
One incredible moment, Isaiah saw the Lord. He saw Yahweh. He saw Adonai. He saw Jehovah God. He saw the same God that Abraham had encountered. He saw the same God that Jacob had encountered by the brook. He saw the same God that Moses had encountered at the burning bush. And he saw the same God that was glorified at the birth of our Savior, Lord, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. That was what was announced when Jesus was born. So here is this moment that Isaiah sees God on his throne, in his splendor, in his majesty, and in his glory. And the Bible describes this moment and God's position in this moment. He was high and exalted. In other words, that one word was not sufficient to describe the, the high dimension of God and who he was. And so there you see that he's high, but he's also exalted. He's raised up. He's uplifted. He's above. He's lifted high. And there you describe the throne of God and the glory of that throne. Isaiah saw this amazing and had this amazing encounter with God. When you study scripture, you begin to see that uh, these other encounters that people have with God over, over a period of time in scripture, you, you see that every time someone encounters God, they're impressed by his glory. You can't be around God and not be impressed by the glory of God. You can't be around God and not understand that he is high and exalted. He's different from everything else that you may ever encounter. John the Apostle was on the Isle of Patmos, and he has this amazing revelation. It's called the book of Revelation in your Bible, the last book of the Bible. And here John is caught up in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and he has this encounter with Jesus. And listen to how he describes it in Revelation chapter 4, and see if you can't pull out some similarities to what Isaiah said. After this, verse 1 of Revelation 4, after this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had heard first speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in, what did Isaiah see? A throne. Now John is seeing the same throne. So he's seeing a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Anybody want to name the name of the one sitting on the throne? What is his name? His name is Jesus. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns, uh, crowns of gold on their head. From the thrones came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder in front of the throne. Seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. I think you would agree with me that that was quite a glorious encounter that John has with the Savior. So both Isaiah and John saw the Lord and they saw the, the glory of God. Can I ask you, are you seeing the glory of God? What do you know about God and his glory? What are you learning about God and his glory? What are you understanding about God being the one who is only, the only one who is high and exalted? What is the glory of God? I want to share with you uh, very briefly because I don't have time to go into this. Each of these points I'll give you right now in this first major point really deserves an entire teaching in and of itself, but I'm going to go through them very, very, fairly, fairly quickly. What is the glory of God? Here, here are six things that the glory of God is all about. Number one, the glory of God is the impact of his presence. You can't be around God and his presence without an impacting your life in some way. It, it's a weight. In fact, the word uh, for glory in the Hebrew language means a weight. And so when God comes into your world, there's an impact. He changes things. 
Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, notice this encounter that Saul of Tarsus has with the glory of God. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for, and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So here's Saul of Tarsus uh, setting up a plan for persecuting believers. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. And there in that moment with his encounter with the glory of God, Saul's life was forever changed. A man who was trying to kill Christians turned around and became a Christian. Why? Because he encountered the glory of God. The second thing is the glory of God is the purity of his character. God's character is, is pure beyond anything that you and I can even imagine. I've used this illustration before, but let's say, for example, maybe you've had this example before. You've had a set of sheets at home, white sheets at home. You thought they looked pretty white until you brought a, bought a brand new set of sheets, and you held up the old sheet to the new sheet, and what looked white didn't seem white anymore compared to the brightness and the whiteness of the brand new sheet you had. And sometimes we think that our life is, is kind of together, and then we, we compare it with God. And I promise you that when you and I compare our, our lives and our purity with the purity of God, we always come up a few shades darker. There's always a stain or something in us that we, we, we only see in the light of the purity of his character. And that's why we find in 1 Chronicles 16, verse 29, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his, his purity, his holiness. There's no one as pure as God. He is pure purity, righteous righteousness. Number three, the glory of God is the supremacy of his being. Among any and everything, there's no one like our God. He is the supreme God. Psalm 86 verse 8 says, Among the gods there is no one like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. Psalm 96 verse 8, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Number four, the glory of God is the greatness of his ability. God is glorious because he is great in ability. Psalm 24, 7 and 8. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? Now it's described the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Number five, the glory of God is the splendor of his light. When we all get to heaven and when the, the kingdom of God is consummated and the world ends as we know it and there's a new heaven and a new earth, the Bible says we won't need the sun anymore. See, the sun lights us up every day, but at that time when, when everything is wrapped up in God's consummation and God's plan, we don't need the sun anymore because the Bible says God will be the light. Listen to Revelation 21, verse 23. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God. What are we talking about tonight? The glory of God. For the glory of God gives its light and the lamb is its lamp. An amazing thing. Number six, last one I'll mention here in this point. The glory of God is the goodness of his nature. God is glorious because no one is as good as our God. 
I want to say that again because about half of you are like thinking about that as I said it, and I know you want to say amen when I say it, okay? No one is as good as our God. You can't, there is no goodness that compares to the goodness of God. The nicest person you'll ever meet, the most kind and generous person you will ever meet does not come close to the generosity and the goodness of God. That's why he is a glorious God, because no goodness compares to his goodness. In Exodus 33, verses 18 through 20, Moses is looking for this encounter with God and desiring it. And the Bible says, then Moses says, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front. What did Moses ask for? Show me your And what did God say? I'll show you my goodness. My goodness is my glory. I'll cause my goodness to pass in front of you. I'll proclaim my name, the Lord in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Now, here's the thing. Let me go back over these again. Why, why, how do we know that God is glorious? Because every time his presence shows up, there's an impact. There's no one as pure as he is. There's no one as supreme as he is. No one like him. There's no one who is as great in ability. There's no one who is as splendorous in light. And there's no one who is as good in nature. This is why our God is full of glory. When Isaiah said, I saw the Lord, he saw the glory of God. And by the way, we now are to live for the glory of God. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you're not your own, for you are bought with a price or at a price, therefore Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. John 15, 8. This is, Jesus said this, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The first thing that you and I need to see, and I would challenge us to turn our attention to this new year, is to see the glory of God. Our God is a glorious God. And every time we sing a song of worship that brings something out about the glory of God, these are the kind of things we need to be thinking about. That's our God, and that's who we worship. And he's worthy of our worship because there's no one as glorious as he is. I saw the Lord. I saw the glory of God, Isaiah said. I saw the glory of God, John says. And any encounter that you have with God is with the glorious God. Number two, you need to see. If you're going to see God, you need to see God's power. A key part of seeing God's glory includes seeing his power. Now, because God is intrinsically, I know that tonight's message is a bit on the theological side, but you need some good theology in your life. Amen? It's not going to help you with bad theology. Bad theology produces a bad life, okay? So you need to to believe the right things and know the right things. So this is some good theology to understand. Because God is intrinsically glorious, there's no one like him. Would you agree? Because he's intrinsically glorious, he's also intrinsically powerful. You can't be glorious without also being powerful. And as you start this year, I want, you to, I want to encourage you to see the glory of God, but I also want to encourage you to see the God of power, the God of supreme authority. Listen to what Scripture says about our God. See the Lord. Psalm 62, verse 11, God said to me once and for all, all the strength and power you need flows from me. 
Notice it says, all the strength and all the power you need flows from me. Mark 10, 27, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. Read the rest with me. All things are possible with God. Luke 8, 46, but Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out of me. Talking about the lady that came up and touched the edge of his garment that she touched with faith. And Jesus said, I felt the power go out. And of course, healing transformed her life. When you see the God of power, it changes your perspective of your problems. Because when you put your problems up beside the power of God, your problems become much smaller. It generates hope when you feel discouraged and hopeless. Why? Because you're looking at a God to whom nothing is hopeless, nothing is impossible. It causes you to be inspired with faith, to believe the promises of God. And so this is why it is so important. You need to see God's glory, and God's glory is God's power, and he makes his power available to you and to me. The third thing, I saw the Lord. What does this mean for us? It means that we need to see God's love. You and I need to see the love of God. As we head in this new year, I really hope and pray that in your heart, as God is working in your heart, my heart, all of our hearts together, that that this year will be a year that we will understand in a greater measure the love of God. Because you can have a glorious God and a God of ability, but if he doesn't love you, what does that mean? Oh, yes, he's glorious, no question about that. Yes, he's able and He's powerful, we get that, but but what about me? Does this mean anything to me? Am I the object of any of his attention? And you and I need to understand that we serve a God who actually and truly loves us with a love that we can't even describe, we can't measure. And your eyes need to be opened to the love of God because it changes everything. It changes the way you think about you and it changes the way you think about other people. It changes the way that you relate to other people. It changes your capacity to be used by God. When our eyes are blind to God's love or even partially blind to God's love, we're going to suffer. And our positive impact is always diminished anytime we don't understand the love of God. And when you're unsure of God's love, any, and, and believers many times are unsure of the love of God, but when you're unsure of God's love, it has an impact in your life because it, it tends to cause you to be much more, uh, much more susceptible or vulnerable to hatred in your life, bitterness and anger, resentment toward people, because if you don't know love, you can't give love. And so when somebody hurts you, you tend to take it in and you begin to magnify that in your life. You begin to hate and become bitter and resentful toward people. And so you miss out on a lot of your life because you don't understand love. And so loving other people starts with the love of God in your own heart. When you don't have the love of God in your life, you live in fear. The Bible says that perfect love, we'll read it in a moment, perfect love is what drives out fear. When you don't have the love of God in your life, you have a lot of insecurity in your life and you tend to have shallow and superficial relationships because you don't really know what love is. And so you and I need to grasp the love of God. Listen to 1 John 4, verse 8. Whoever does not love does not know God because what is God? Who is God? God is love. 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love because perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid but gives us power. What's the next word? Love and self-discipline. 
I want to read a prayer from you, write a prayer for you, right from the Bible. In fact, I would just encourage you, maybe you want to just close your eyes right where you are and meditate on these words as I'm praying them. Paul prayed them these words for the Ephesian believers, but I believe it's a prayer for you as we start a brand new year together. Let this sink into your heart as I read it, and I'm praying this for you. We're praying it together. Paul writes and says, Ephesians 3, verse 14. So I kneel humbly in awe before the Father of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the perfect Father of every father and child in heaven and on the earth. And I pray that he would unveil within you the unlimited riches of his glory and favor until supernatural strength floods your innermost being with divine might and explosive power. Then by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside you and the resting place of his love, notice that, the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. Then you will be empowered to discover what every holy one experiences, the great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all of its dimensions, how deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love, how enduring and inclusive it is, endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding, this extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. May that prayer be a prayer that is answered in your life in 2020. Amen? You need to see God's glory. What is God's glory? God's glory is all about who he is and his, his, his supremacy and to see the, the, the great capacity of God, his ability and see God's love. And the final thing I want to talk about tonight, just for a moment, you need to see God's desires. What does God desire for you? I want to unpack this just for a couple of moments here because I want this to settle in because of God's love for you, God has desires for you. How many parents do we have in the room tonight? Raise your hand. Do you have desires for your kids? Do you ever desire they have a miserable life? They've caused you a lot of trouble along the way, right? They've cost you a lot of money, haven't they not? They've not always been cooperative with you, correct? Sometimes they've been outright rebellious. But do you still love them? And because you love them, do you have desires for them? Of course you do. What I want you to understand is because of God in his glory, he's a glorious God and he's a powerful God, but this brings it back to us that he is a loving God and because he's a loving God, our, our, our eyes, eyes need to be open to the desire that God has for you and me because he has desires for us as his kids. We're his kids. We're, we, we belong to his family. He's our father. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, our father, which art in heaven. So let me talk to you about the desires that God has for your life. As you begin this new year and head into a brand new decade, I'll give you these, these several things that we have here, actually four things that we'll look at together. Number one, God first and foremost has a desire to bless you. Do you believe that? God is not a God that wants to curse you. God is a God that really wants to bless you. And sometimes we need to settle that into our soul and our spirit because we live as though God is angry with us sometimes and we don't know if we can trust him to bring blessing into our life. But I want you to know tonight that all through the pages of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, I don't have time to walk you through them all, but our God, because he loves us, wants us to be blessed. He wants you to be blessed. 
Now, of course, blessing is linked to us learning how to walk with God and follow him. And there are things that we learn from him that help us to live this kind of life. But it's his desire for you. God wants you to be blessed. Listen to this prayer that John the Apostle prayed. In 3 John verses 1 and 2, it's a statement. It's also a prayer, I believe. Beloved, notice the word beloved, loved ones. I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Did you hear that tonight? That's the heart of God. That's in the pages of Scripture. I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. And so the the plan of God for your life is indeed prosperity. Now, I've often reminded you that I'm not, as we tend to term the, 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 the phrase, I'm not a prosperity preacher, but I do believe that God prospers people. Because prosperity is not about your money. The fact the Bible says here, I pray that you will prosper and be in health. Notice this, just as your soul prospers. And so the most valuable prosperity you'll ever have in life is a healthy soul. A soul that is, that is full of life and full of vitality. It has a meaningful relationship with God. And when everything's going well in your soul, things tend to go well in your life. You're on a good pattern of living. And so here's the prayer. God wants you to be blessed. Number two, here's the desire that God has for you. He wants to grow you. Any parent will tell you when they have a child and the child maybe that's not growing effectively. They're concerned about the growth pattern of that child and they begin to dig into that, what's going on in the body. We've got to figure out what's happening here. We want our children to grow and that's, of course, in the physical realm, but God wants you to grow this year. He doesn't want you to stay the same. He wants you moving forward and that's why he gives you opportunities to grow in in church life and relationships with other people in the study of his word and all these things that are valuable to us. Why? Because God wants to see you growing and by the way, the more you grow, the, the happier you'll be, the healthier you'll be in your life. Peter writes these words in 1 Peter chapter 2. This is the Passion Translation, verse 2. In the same way that nursing infants cry for milk, you must intensively crave the pure spiritual milk of God's word. For this milk will cause you to grow into maturity, fully nourished and strong for life. You know, there are Christians that have been believers for years for decades, and they've had very little growth in their life. They're still basically at the same point they were when they started out. They never really developed their spiritual journey. You know, I think you'd understand this as we look at it in the natural realm. You don't want to see a 50-year-old still using a bottle. A little weird, is it not, okay? You don't, see, you don't need to see a 50-year-old with, with having to be tucked into bed at night with a teddy bear. Why? Because we, it's silly, but, but I'm, I'm bringing the point out. How many 50-year-old believers, 30-year-old believers, or 20-year-old believers, or 10-year-old believers are still living as a, as a child? They've not done anything to really grow their spiritual journey, to move forward in their spiritual life. Would you make a choice this year that this year is going to be a year of growth for you? See, God can't grow you unless you're willing to do the things necessary for growth. And so it's a choice that you make. We have to desire the milk of God's word, the, the truth of God's word. We need to be in a growing mindset. So would you set the pattern for your life this year? I'm going to be a growing Christian. It's the desire of the Father to see you grow. Number three, here's God's desire for you. He wants to fill you with hope. And he wants to fill you with peace. Well, isn't that wonderful? He doesn't want to take the hope away from you. He wants to give hope to you. He doesn't want to 
disturb your life. He wants to bring peace to your life. Romans 15, 13, here's another prayer. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the desire that God has that you would be filled up with a sense of hope. What is hope? Hope is positive anticipation about the future based upon the promises of God. It's not a false hope. It's the fact that I'm believing and trusting that God has good things in store for me because God is a good God. He's given me promises that I can hold on to and God never fails in delivering his promises. Whatever he promises, he always does. And then the fourth thing that God desires for every one of you here, every person that's listening tonight, God desires to use you for his glory. See, when you're, when you're growing at some point in time in your growth process, you're, you're not going to continue to grow until you step into serving. Serving is vital because God wants to take what he's doing in you and multiply it through you. Because there's a, there's a big world out there that is desperate need of God. Jesus made this statement one day. He said, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are Jesus said the harvest of souls, the harvest of people that need God, it's, it's, there's a big harvest out there. There's a lot of people that don't know God. There's a lot of hurting people in our world that need some hope for their life and to understand who Jesus is and how Jesus can personally help them. And so there's a massive harvest, but the, the problem is not how big is the harvest. There's a massive harvest. The problem is you don't have enough Workers, the laborers, the workers are few. And so that's why God says, as I grow you up, what I want to do is use you to make a difference in this broken, hurting world. I want you to be a, a vessel. I want you to be a channel. I want you to be an instrument in, my, instrument in my hand so that I can use you to make a difference in people around you. First Peter 4, 10 and 11 says, each of you, each of you, notice it's each of us, every one of us, each of you, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to do what? To serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Now notice this. When you and I are understanding the love of God, that God wants to bless us, and that we're in this mindset of how can I nurture my soul in relationship with God so that my soul is prosperous, because when my soul is healthy, everything else will tend to go better in my life. So I understand that God desires to bless me, and that God desires to, to make sure that I'm, I'm growing in my relationship with Him, and so I'm doing the things that are necessary to grow in my journey with God. I'm starting that process, and then as God begins to grow me, now I'm in this position for God to now use me, because when God uses you, He draws on the gifts that He's placed in you, but your gifts alone will not accomplish everything that God wants you to accomplish with your life. Your gifts, my gifts, will never be enough to do what God wants to do through us. But what your gifts do is you bring them and you connect them with God. Jesus said, apart from me, you could do nothing. But if we bring our little weak gifts, the little things that we have in our lives, and our resources, say, God, you know what? This, is, this isn't much, but I'm going to give it to you and use it. Do you happen to remember the story of the day that Jesus was in a crowd of people that he'd been teaching for a long time that day, and it's the end of the day, and and. It, they're ready to send them home, and the disciples are, and Jesus, hey, by the way, before you send them home, let's feed them. 
Let's give them something to eat. Anybody remember how many folks were in that crowd? 5,000 men plus the women and the children. It's a large group of people. And Jesus looked at the disciples and said, I want, you, I want you to be a part of this process of feeding them. And the disciples said, we can't do it. We don't have anything. But they found one little boy in the crowd that was able to give to Jesus the little bit that he had. Do you ever feel like all you have is a little bit? I'm not very important. I don't have much to give. I don't have a lot of resources in my life. I don't feel very gifted. I don't feel like I can do anything for God. I mean, I, I just got five loaves and two fish. That's my lunch. It's barely enough to feed me. I don't have anything that I can do for God, but somehow this little boy understood that in the hands of Jesus, something could happen that was miraculous in nature, but it took both of them. Jesus needed the boy, and the boy needed Jesus. Are you with me? Okay. Jesus needed the boy. Now, Jesus could have easily said, bread be, and bread would have been. Fish multiply, and fish would have jumped out of the Sea of Galilee and just started walking over to Jesus and just finished. <laughs> right? Are you, are you, right? Remember the time he, they needed a gold coin to pay the taxes? He, he sent Peter out, and they found the, the, the fish with the coin. I mean, Jesus could have easily just spoken. It could have occurred, but Jesus said, I want to show you something. I want to teach you a principle here. You don't have to be high and mighty. You don't have to have a lot because everybody's got something. you got something in your life right now. There's something in your life, and God wants you to see that that something that is in you is something that is valuable to him. And so the little boy came and gave his five loaves and his two fish, and Jesus took it and blessed it. And then he did something else. He gave it to the disciples to give to the people. Have you ever wondered how that miracle took place? I don't know. Obviously, I wasn't there. I'm not that old, but uh, I have a theory based upon what I, what I read in different accounts of this in the Gospels. I think what happened is Jesus gave a little bit of bread and fish to each of the 12 disciples. And every time they gave out some, it grew back. And the disciples were in the process. I don't think just all of a sudden this big massive amount of fish and bread showed up, okay? I believe that in the giving was the multiplying, okay? Are you hearing me? In the giving was the multiplying. As they began to step into the journey, see, they didn't, they didn't have the five loaves of the two fish, but Jesus wanted to use their energy, their connection with the people to feed them. And the point I'm making to you tonight is this. There's something in you. There's something in you that will never be completed and never experience the glory, the dimension of God until you begin to get involved in serving and giving. Because what happens is this. When you give the little bit you give... God does miracles with it. And then you step back and you give glory to God, not for what you did, but for what he did. Because you knew all along it was a little bit that I gave, but God did far more with what I gave than I could have ever imagined. And that's why the Bible says that when you use your gifts that God has given you in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, his help upon you, then it brings glory to God. Why? Because he always does exceedingly abundantly of anything you could ask or imagine, even through you. Turn to your neighbor and say, even through you. God can do that. Even through you. Okay. Even through you. And so what are we talking about? What's the most important thing that you can see going into 2020? We need to see the Lord. That's, that's who and what we need to see. We need to see God's glory. God, you're a 
glorious God. There's no one like you, and we honor and we magnify you, and you're high and exalted, and we begin to understand that, that no one comes into comparison with God. Then we begin to see that God has all the power that we need necessary for us, and God has all the love that you and I could ever need in our lives, and then out of that, God has some desires for us that we begin to cooperate with him. And when you and I do that, we're starting to have the same kind of encounter with God that Isaiah did. And that's where 2020 vision begins to move you forward in your journey. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray tonight? Father, thank you for your word this evening. We're so grateful and so thankful for you speaking to us. And Lord, we ask that you'll help us this year to see you like we've never seen you before. We thank you for the way it transformed Isaiah's life, it transformed John's life. Lord, how it transforms our lives when we see your glory. So, Father, I pray that you would be high and exalted in our minds and hearts and that we would begin to understand you have great power toward each one of us. And, Lord, you have a love that goes beyond anything that we can imagine. And, God, you desire to use us for your glory. We pray that we would step into that arena as we grow in you. We make ourselves available to serve you, Father. Seal this word in our heart by your Holy Spirit. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm gonna give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that he will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of his name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out and you become a new creation. All things pass away, all things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.